Welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the downfall of the startup company Theranos. Theranos was attempting to revolutionise blood testing by doing blood tests on tiny amounts of blood for a range of disorders. In reality, the company did not have the technology it claimed, and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes, would soon find herself on trial for fraud. And this is a bit of a different story for the podcast, obviously, which is a little a little different, but it, it, I think it falls under the banner of things going wrong, and it's something I've been very interested in at the moment, so I thought it was something that I should cover. It's very current and, and very much in the news uh, at the moment, so it is something that hopefully if you listen to this and find it interesting, then there's lots of interesting things to kind of keep up on, so definitely worth a listen. Uh, And this is going to be a two-part episode, so part one will be today and then part two will be out next week. So you don't need to wait two weeks (laughs) for for the second one. Uh, The second one will be out next Tuesday. So let's go back to the very beginning of Theranos and, and how it started. Elizabeth Holmes grew up in Houston and she attended school there. And her dad was an executive at Enron, (laughs) which, if you know much about Enron, was also a very big company that uh, had a very large fraud scandal and something that maybe one day I will cover if I can ever get my head around all that accounting fraud that they did. But it's safe to say that she came from a very well-off family. And so her dad, yeah, worked at Enron and then worked at a lot of uh, very big companies after that. And she went to Stanford University, uh, very prestigious, where she studied chemical engineering. And it was here where she got really kind of interested at the first point in blood testing and looking at innovation within healthcare. And so at 19, when she was still at uni, she really had this vision for what she wanted to do. She really could see this kind of end product that she wanted to end, end up with. And she really wanted to transform blood testing. So she wanted to be able to take a very small amount of blood and be able to do all of these tests on it. And this was due to she had had a phobia of needles, a phobia of drawing blood, and really wanted to revolutionise this area, which maybe hadn't changed radically in, in, in the past wee while. And she really wanted to give healthcare back into the hands of the people that would actually use it into into your and my hands so that we could take take better control of our health and, and really allow more kind of preventative testing rather than only going for blood tests when something is is wrong and uh, and and especially that last point i found a little bit odd when i heard about it but i guess it makes sense because in the uk and in new zealand where i'm from we have had universal healthcare so uh, we don't need to to worry about what blood tests we need and and when we need them we just go and get them if we need them but obviously in the states that isn't the case and it is very much uh, reliant on insurance and and getting that type of referral So the hope with Elizabeth had was that if she could get blood testing to be, yeah, very tiny amounts of blood and very cost effective, then she would be able to provide blood tests to people without them having to go through their insurance in order to get it. With that vision, uh, she decided to drop out of Stanford and she started her own startup. I think at the beginning it was called something like real-time testing or something quite lame. Uh, But eventually she decided and and rebranded it and it became Theranos, which is the company that we know today. 
And Theranos was actually, I read this the other day, was actually a portmanteau of therapy and diagnosis. So Theranos, therapy diagnosis, which makes sense. And so the core, like I said, the core concept alongside giving people access to to blood tests to allow this preventative care was that you could just take a finger stick amount of blood. So instead of going in and having like a venous puncture, so going in, many of you will have had, you go to the nurse, they sit you down, they put a tourniquet tourniquet on your arm uh, which which means that your your veins show a lot easier and then they pierce the veins in order to then take blood from you but what she wanted to do was was focus only on on finger stick blood tests and so some of you might have had finger stick blood tests as well if you think of like diabetes or some blood tests that are done at home it's very much just where you kind of stab your finger <laughs> and a little bit of blood comes out and then that's what you use and her hope was that she would collect a very small amount of blood from the finger and then be able to use this small amount of blood to do a multitude of tests on. So instead of having to kind of draw reams and reams of blood, just be able to use that one tiny little tube and be able to do lots with it. The tiny amount of blood that you would then get would be kind of taken out and then loaded into a machine and then this machine would do all of these different tests. So instead of uh, a person having to go in and do all of the different tests and it takes all the time to, to run them all differently with lots of blood, lots of different reagents, all of that type of thing, basically you just have this teeny tiny bit of blood, it would get popped into this machine and then out, out would come all of your results for all of the different tests that it would do. And that was the the dream, really, that Elizabeth had and something that she, well, eventually very much claimed was possible. And I think that's important to, to kind of keep in mind that at this point, it's not like blood testing doesn't exist, right? So there's actually quite a lot of other large lab testing companies running at this point, And they all built quite uh, industrial level machines in order to do blood testing. And this would allow uh, people to put the, their blood samples in and it would it would automate and run some of the processes for them and uh, one of the largest ones which was is a company called quest they're also were on the hunt to try and use less blood because obviously less blood you have just the easier everything can be quicker uh, etc and they had uh, been kind of steadily making progress on this so ha they had had made success for many tests and they had originally like had tests which would require two vials of blood and they had got it down to a fifth of a vial so they had done really well in terms of trying to to, to really decrease the volume and, and and working on how to make that more effective but Elizabeth um, at 19 with with dropping out of uni thought that she could do better and thought that she'd be able to uh, really make these tests and make them work even from this very early time, she was very much faced with scepticism by basically everyone, <laughs> uh, but especially her professors at Stanford. And they kind of said to her when she proposed her idea that it wasn't physically possible, it was never anything that she could do, stuff like that. But that didn't dismay her. <laughs> she was still very keen to, to take it forward. And so even from that point on, it became very clear that she was very, a very determined person. And once she had this, this vision in her mind, she would really go through anything in order to get it. 
she started try- going out trying to convince people to, to go along on this journey with her, with Theranos, and she did actually, even at that early point, re- uh, manage to convince one of her tenured professors at Stanford uh, to actually quit his quit his job and come and work at Theranos. So she was already really selling this this dream and was a very persuasive and and kind of evocative type person. So she she obviously got them involved, but she was very well connected. Like I said, her father uh, was quite well off. And so she started getting investment into the company in order to grow it. Uh, But the first two investors was actually a family friend and one of their previous next door neighbors. So using her connections very much so at the beginning of the company. Eventually, she took her idea to Silicon Valley, uh, and this was very much at the time of the startup. So this was in early 2000. So it was the, yeah, the really start of the of the boom in that area. And she had many things which investors wanted. So she had a very clear vision. She was very determined. Uh, and if you ever listen to uh, podcasts around like startups and that type of thing, you'll note that oftentimes investors... <laughs> don't always need uh, like an amazing business plan. They, they really do it based on like the person and what the person will bring. And so she very much had that, that like I said, that tenacity and that drive in order to really get investors on, on board. And it, this is mentioned a lot. I don't know whether it actually did play into it, but she was young, she was attractive, she was female. I never want to say that those are reasons why something happened, but potentially it was. Uh, it was a time when they were trying to champion women and, and invest more within women. Uh, but yeah, who knows? If you look at the stats now, uh, even even now, there's, there's a lot less investment uh, in women-founded firms within Silicon Valley. So it wouldn't be surprised if that didn't actually play into it at all. But it's pointed out a lot. So she was in Silicon Valley getting a load of investment at this point, And she really, it became very clear very early on that she really wanted to shape a specific public persona. And she loved Steve Jobs. So she was really inspired by Steve Jobs and how he built up his brand and how he acted within his, uh, within Apple. And so she would, even from the early stage, she'd start wearing black turtlenecks. So very, very much like Steve Jobs in, in the same kind of way where she was like, oh, well, it simplifies my life because every day I just get up and I put on a black turtleneck and I don't need to think about anything. This is, this is just what I wear every day. Uh, she also spoke in quite a deep voice, and if you do go and watch some of her TED Talks or anything like that, you will notice this. It is been debated whether she put it on, <laughs> but who knows? It, it probably is real. There's lots of reports out there that when they've heard her at other times, she, she didn't sound like that. But I think you can't put on that voice. You know, you can't put on a voice forever, right? So I think it might be a bit a bit surprising if, if that was the case, but who knows? But even even with those things, she was clearly very charismatic and generally people really did listen when she spoke. So by 2010, uh, she had raised almost $92 million in venture funding and was really growing Theranos with her vision. And at this point, they had started building the first iteration of that testing machine. So like I said, she really wanted to build this machine that would do a range of tests and allow them to put put a little bit of blood in and then it would go off to work. And the first iteration of this was known as the Edison. So the machine she nicknamed the Edison. And 
they were basically trying to fit all of like a big laboratory laboratory into one tiny box. Uh, so things like centrifuges, pipettes, lots of mechanical arms that would move the, the blood sample from one bit of the machine to the next uh, and really try and emulate what a person would actually do uh, in a lab. And so they were working really hard to try and build out that machine. Uh, and she was also filing many patents for the different lab tests. Uh, so they were coming up with lots of patents for different lab tests, different ways of of using the, the very small amount of blood, like we said. And she was very much trying to build up the amount of tests that the company could do. So the aim was that they would be able to do uh, a huge, broad spectrum of tests. And that was one of their selling points. Uh, and she had this vision, obviously, to take this blood testing equipment not only to the public and give the, give it back into their hands, but she also really wanted to work with other pharmaceutical companies to, for example, run blood tests during drug trials so they could rapidly run drug tests. Uh, and there was also the ambition of working with the military to do rapid blood testing in in war war areas so that they could very quickly test and and treat people so she had had all these aims and she was uh, building the edison but the only problem at this point even with her 19 million dollars was that she she wasn't actually live with any products yet so they even at this point they still hadn't once tested anything on on a person in the public who is paid for it Even with that, she grew her board, uh, so the board of Theranos, and she grew it with many very substantial and influential people. So like I said, she was very charismatic and really met with a lot of people and they really believed in her vision and believed what she was telling them. So on the board, it included George Schultz, who was a former US Secretary of State. James Mattis, who was Trump's Secretary of Defense, uh, Henry Kissinger, who was also a former U.S. Secretary of State, and many other former senators and high-profile men. Uh, and her board was was indeed all men. And it was, yeah, it, it was just so powerful. It was just full of these men that were very politically heavy, uh, not necessarily people that actually were experts in the area of the company itself so uh, as as you can hear from all those people they're not not exactly blood testing experts uh, but they were interested in the company and they came on the board in 2009 she appointed a new COO chief operating officer who was called Sunny Balwani and it has become known now that actually they had been a couple and they've been in a couple for a very long time before she appointed him but he joined the company at that point and he was a millionaire and he was very well off and he had previously sold one of his uh, original startups and made all of this money. And so he was experienced in that sense uh, and especially from like a software and a software development point of view, he had a reasonable amount of experience, but healthcare and blood testing was not um, in his, his remit of experience. So this kind of meant that there wasn't anyone on the board or really anyone even on that kind of senior leadership that was really able to question whether 
he was the right person to, to do that role and to question whether the company was really running in a way that made sense and whether they were actually meeting the the things that they should be. And potentially these people weren't putting the emphasis where, where it should have been. So probably they weren't big fans of safety and all of that type of thing, I would imagine, whereas they would be thinking more about expansion and profit. Uh, she kept it quite insular, so she also hired her brother Christian, and he was the director of product management. And so from the very start, Elizabeth really held a world of secrecy around Theranos, and that isn't unusual for startups in Silicon Valley. It's obviously an area where you don't want other people stealing your IP or anything like that. You want to, to keep it close to your chest and, and make sure that uh, you're able to develop it and then release it before anyone else does. But she took that level of secrecy almost to the next level as part of Theranos. So she wouldn't reveal to anyone, including the investors and the board, how the technology actually worked. And she kept the Edison and everything to do with it very much separated from everything else. So she almost had two halves within the company. Half would process normal blood tests using normal commercially available lab testing equipment and then uh, and be able to, to do these tests and build up their rapport of testing. And then the other half would work on, on the Edison and, and seeing if they could get that work. But they really didn't cross. So if you worked in the in the lab sample, not in the Edison bit, you probably have never seen an Edison machine and were not allowed anywhere near it in the in the building. It was very much under lock and key. And the Edison, just for context, um, if we've seen a few pictures of it now, but it literally is just like a big black box, um, which has all of the equipment in it. Uh, and then it has kind of like a fancy touch screen on the top. And she apparently spent a lot of money uh, with people that have worked at Apple to design the big black box to make it look very, very swish. So yeah, the two labs couldn't mix and she made everyone in the company sign a non-disclosure agreement uh, that nothing would be shared outside of the company. And even if they said anything, they would, she would very much pursue them and, and threaten legal action. So even nothing like that's actually relevant to um, to the company, just like what people, what you know, how they worked or what types of things they did. Just no one was allowed to say anything. And she... Uh, no one was able allowed to even visit the office without signing an NDA, so no one could actually even enter the building without doing that. Uh, and I find this really weird, but most people who were hired didn't actually know what job they were going to be doing until they were hired and had signed the contract. So a lot of people really joined joined on the on the faith and and selling the dream, uh, but only when they when they joined. Uh, in one of the Vanity Fair articles I read, there was a good quote and it said, On LinkedIn, one former employee noted next to his job description, I worked here, but every time I say what I did, I get a letter from a lawyer. I probably will get a letter from a lawyer for writing this. <laughs> and I thought that really like summed up how not only were they obsessed with secrecy, but they were also obsessed with tracking anyone down who potentially ever said anything about the company. And like I said, not unheard of within Silicon Valley, but it was just really taken to the next level. And she eventually like had a huge team of security guards who followed her everywhere. She was Eagle One, Sunny was Eagle Two, so, so really taking it to the to that next level. Uh, and it, to me, it's just it's just a bit odd because if you think about science and you think about the world of science, a huge and part of that is 
peer review of people's work. So so doing things and then get it, getting it peer reviewed to ensure that it's accurate, to ensure that the results are what we think they are. And that is so important. But she very much was was not doing that and was just very focused on secrecy. And in fact, they barely did any kind of like really formal research or any journal articles or anything like that, which you would expect if you are working in a scientific field that you would be trying to publish a lot of stuff to really bring up the uh, credibility of of the organisation. But yeah, they only published one journal article and it was released to a very small online journal, uh, which wasn't very highly regarded in the industry. uh, And I don't I actually don't know, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't peer-reviewed. So yeah, very much not not living up to the standards that other companies would expect. Alongside all of the security, Elizabeth really made a culture of non-stop working. Again, probably not hugely um, questionable within Silicon Valley, but yeah, she she really went along with that. Uh, And so she was often in the office all day until midnight uh, and apparently only slept for four hours a night, which... I couldn't function if I only slept for four hours a night, so no idea how she did it all. Uh, And she really would encourage other people to stay, so she would get dinner delivered to the office and really encourage people to, to stay working late. And if you're like me listening to all this, you're like, okay, great. Yep. She was really secrecy, like really emphasized on secrecy and was building this stuff. But she's in healthcare. Isn't she going to be like heavily regulated by by the FDA, by different regulatory bodies that look after this type of stuff? But in reality, she kind of fell into this gray area where basically if she was manufacturing lab equipment then that was then never used off of her company and like wasn't sold elsewhere it actually didn't get reviewed so it, yeah it fell into this weird gray spot that she managed to land herself in and so that meant that they the FDA and and, and companies like that didn't have to regulate them for for quite some time even with the lab tests that they had been creating and using, they didn't have to do many regulatory checks until it was out there on the market. So it very much was a, and we'll talk about this when, uh, in what we learned, but it just is a really, you know, black hole that they should have, that they should have spotted really, uh, because it is an area that wasn't being regulated, but very much should be. And so through all of this, uh, she and, and and this time kind of building the company, uh, she was very savvy with the media and she was really building up coverage uh, for, with the press. Uh, she was on the front cover of Fortune, Forbes, the NYT Star Magazine and many more. Uh, she was named Woman of the Year by Glamour and she did, yeah, huge amounts of interviews, including a very thorough long read in The New Yorker. Uh, and I'll come back to that one later on. And she was soon declared the youngest female safe, self-made billionaire uh, as the stocks in Theranos continue to grow. So yeah, she really played played the marketing scene really well and really grew her public persona. And you can see loads of photos out there of her meeting all these like really, you know, influential people with presidents, with celebrities, uh, really, yeah, expanding her reach into, into many different areas. And this was obviously a very calculated move by her in order to bring the, the press and, and get the attention that the company needed. Uh, but maybe wasn't the right thing to do if her company spoiler didn't didn't have all the things that that she thought it did 
Uh, she was very much focused on the market, like I said, the marketing and sales side. And so the company was getting much bigger, but she was mainly hiring people on that side and was also hiring a lot of legal staff, but wasn't hugely spending and investing in chemists and engineers, which is, is what you would expect. So at the high point, uh, she raised $700 million from investors for Theranos. Uh, she had over 800 staff. And like I said, the company was worth billions. And at this point, it was time to actually use the blood test and actually launch a product. So in 2013, the Theranos launched um, and it, yeah, years and years of people hearing about the company, uh, it finally launched its own website and associated press campaigns. They first they started going live. They first ran a beta campaign with Safeway Employee Health Clinic. Safeway, I think, being a supermarket in America. And but there were really questionable results. Um, and the results that the employees were getting were yeah maybe not what they were expecting. And so they didn't carry on with that at the time. So instead, the first major public deal that Theranos did was with the pharmacy chain Walgreens to create Walgreens Wellness Centers. And yeah, Walgreens is a big pharmacy in the UK, in the US, uh, similar to Boots if you're in the UK. And so it, the idea was that they would create these wellness centers within these pharmacies and people could go into them and get their blood test done uh, whilst they were there. And so once they had signed this deal with Walgreens, it became very clear that they needed a better version of the Edison that would actually, would actually work and actually do a much wider range of tests. And so this is when they launched the kind of Edison Mark II or they what they renamed as the Mini Lab, which is pretty self-explanatory. Um, but they also nicknamed it in the 4S, which is very similar to Apple. And so, yeah, they, they launched this Mini Lab and the hope was that the Mini Lab could go into those Walgreens stores. And Walgreens, I think, dropped the ball a bit at this point, but they didn't do any checks on the efficacy of the tests before signing up to start putting them in their in their stores. They obviously just listened to Elizabeth and, and what she said, that there were all these amazing tests and they worked really well and they should use them. And they didn't really do any any kind of deep deep digging, I guess, in terms of in terms of how they worked. So they started in 2013 with a set of 40 stores in Arizona where you could go and get your blood drawn and Theranos would process the drug sample, the drug sample, the blood sample. And at this point when they launched this initial pilot, the mini labs weren't weren't actually ready. So what they were going to do was they would go and take the blood tests and then they would courier them to their lab in Palo Alto and, and run the blood test manually in their lab and then send the results back. But it became very clear over the next few months that followed that the tests just weren't particularly accurate. Uh, so they would, patients would go and get their blood tested with Theranos and then get it tested elsewhere and note that it was a radically different result. So it was becoming pretty clear that, that something was, was amiss here. So, you know, patients who were having very regular tests to monitor conditions were suddenly getting results which totally varied to how they were previously tracking. And it was very clear that something was going wrong. And it's 
if a blood test doesn't work and you're getting lots of results which are incorrect, not only are people going to get information about their health that is wrong, but it's also just going to be clearly wrong. If someone's getting a test every month for, for tracking something and some suddenly it's totally veered off the rails and then you get the test the next month and it's back to where it, you know, where it was meant to be, it's. I think you can very quickly figure out that it is not doing what it should be doing <laughs> so yeah it was clear it's clear that something wasn't going wrong at this point now that they were testing the fda did start getting interested which is good uh, and in 2015 theranos actually got one of their tests of F- fda approved at this point they had hundreds of tests that they were running and they got one of them which was fda approved but yeah the rest were not and it was really starting to raise some red flags with with the regulators at this point so alongside the fact that the mini labs weren't ready and, and they weren't being used, Theranos was just generally struggling to keep that dream of these teeny tiny containers and this tiny amount of blood alive. So when they would take these samples from these stores with the little finger stick blood sample, they would find that they would have to try and dilute the blood in order to make enough volume to run the tests on this on the lab equipment that they were using and they had edited they kind of like tweaked commercial lab equipment to try and run on this diluted blood but clearly wasn't very effective and it yeah it's just not something you should be doing is diluting anything because it's clearly going to change what the result is so they were, yeah, they were taking this tiny bits of blood, diluting it, and then putting it into these standard machines. And it was very clear from everyone in the lab that the results were just not good. <laughs> the results they were getting were not good. Uh, and they were just following terrible lab practice. So they might like ignore an odd result or they just kind of like cherry pick an answer uh, rather than actually doing everything properly and following the the strict standards that you should be following. Yeah, and it's like, it's such an interesting bit because if you think about like other startups in Silicon Valley, you potentially could launch a product that was like very buggy and like had some problems and maybe, you know, crashed every now and again. And and that would be fine and people would accept it. But when you're talking about a a startup that is people's health, it's so different because you can't just be like, oh, sorry, I told you you had this horrible disease when you don't. Uh, you know, compared to, yeah, being like, ah, oh, Facebook's down for however many hours it was down the other day. Uh, well, you know, no one, no one really had any issues with it. So it, it really shows how the, the area that she was playing in was very different to other areas in Silicon Valley. So finally, someone started to see something that wasn't right. Uh, and remember, I mentioned earlier that New Yorker profile. Well, it got the attention of a reporter and that reporter was John Kerryu, and he read this New Yorker article and he uh, picked out a quote in it that really surprised him. And the quote was Elizabeth explaining how her technology works. And I'll read a quote from the article. Holmes's description of the process was comically vague. A chemistry is performed so that a chemical reaction occurs and generates a signal from the chemical interaction with the sample, which is translated into a result, which is then reviewed by certified laboratory personnel. She added that thanks to miniaturization and automation, we are able to handle these tiny samples. And if you had literally anything to do with science, you will know that that is the most vague and odd statement that I've ever read. It just is so clear that she doesn't really know how it works. A chemistry is performed so that a chemical reaction occurs. 
Like, okay. Like, that's that's literally any chemical reaction ever. So how how is she explaining how a company works? It, it's just crazy. And then, yeah, thanks to miniaturization and automation, we are ready to handle, handle these tiny samples. It doesn't actually explain anything. It just says, yeah, we made things small and automated it, and now it works. And so, yeah, basically, John Carreyrou read that sentence and, and, like, how I've reacted. He was a bit like that's odd how is someone who is running this billion dollar company explaining her product in this way and it really tweaked his interest and it was he's, he's done a really excellent podcast and excellent books and stuff and I'll, I'll reference a lot of them when I go through my sources in the second episode but he, yeah he did a really excellent podcast on on how his interest started and and he points out that it was this quote and as we'll learn Elizabeth had many, many, many lies, but it wasn't the lies that she that he picked up on. It was actually the truth in the statement, which is what he picked up on. Uh, and he just knew that, yeah, if someone was really creating this technology, then she should be able to actually explain how it worked. So soon after this, Carrie started doing some digging and finding out what was really happening at Theranos. Uh, he started speaking to many uh, previous employees who were willing to avoid their NDAs and, and be whistleblowers and, and provide him with evidence. He headed to Arizona and got his blood tested. Uh, and he was really surprised when he went in that he wasn't just having a little finger prick. He was actually having the Venus draw. Uh, he spoke to the FDA to see what they were doing. And he trawled his way through all of this data. And basically, he found out what we all know now, which is Theranos was an absolute sham. And basically a lot of the things they were claiming were, were really very much not true. So in October 2015, he published the first of several articles within the Wall Street Journal, which detailed all of the lies and questionable activity that he had found within Theranos. And that is where I'm going to end this episode. So the lies and what he found and everything at the court case, we're going to cover next week. So uh, yes, I hope um, I hope you will tune in in a week's time. But hopefully now you yeah understand what, what Theranos is and, and have a bit of a picture in your mind as to how Elizabeth Holmes was uh, yeah conducting her business. I will go through, like I mentioned, my sources in full on my next episode. But in the meantime, I just want to highlight two things because they're very important. Bad Blood, which is the book that John Carreyrou wrote and there's an accompanying, accompanying podcast. Uh, and there's also a documentary on Amazon Prime called The Inventor, uh, which is also very good. So just wanted to shout those out now. Uh, but yeah, I'll go into more detail on those in the next episode. So thank you very much for listening. Tune in next week. Please do follow me on Instagram. I'm over there at when it goes wrong pod. Uh, drop me an email at when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs>